SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV Radio broadcasts from, the Camaragal people and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from fresh water to salt water. Yura Damarang, I'm your host Luana Grant and welcome to NITV Radio for this Friday the 25th of August. Coming up on the show today, NITV Radio chats to Victorian Aboriginal Health Service Chairperson Tony McCartney in the days following the 50th anniversary of the Health Service, which celebrated its anniversary on the 18th of August. Also coming up on today's show, a story produced by SBS News about the updated plan for the management of the Murray-Darling Basin, one of Australia's most complicated and important river systems. And I chat to Gomorrah woman Sophie Onus, who was one of eight artists selected to take part in the Country Road NGB First Nations Commission series. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directly outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I'm sorry. In this bulletin, opposition leader Peter Dutton criticises what he describes as confusion around the voting system for the voice referendum. Artists in Central Australia are mourning the death of one of Australia's greatest champions of Indigenous art. And Donald Trump set to become the first former US president to submit to a mugshot when he surrenders at an Atlanta jail. Education Minister Jason Clark has defended the Electoral Commission's ballot paper for the voice referendum after the federal opposition criticised it as confusing. Under the current instructions, you can write yes or no or tick for yes, but if you write a cross for no, it won't be accepted. He told Channel 7 the form mirrors that scene in the 1999 referendum on whether or not Australia should become a republic. You know, part of the argument they're making is it's going to cause a heap of confusion. When John Howard held a referendum into the Republic, uh, same rules, worked fine. Uh, I think there were less than 1% of votes were informal. So I think that pricks the bubble of this argument that this is going to cause some sort of confusion. The opposition insists if a tick can be counted for yes, then a cross should be counted for no. Deputy Opposition Leader Susan Lay told Channel 7 the government should write to the Electoral Commission and request clarity on the ballot paper. This is the modern era and we have a lot more Australians who don't speak English and we want everyone to vote at this referendum. So quite simply, what would people think? A tick is yes, a cross is no. Uh, I actually would expect Jason and his team to be writing similarly to the AEC to actually ask for the rules to be fair. 
artists in Central Australia are mourning the death of one of Australia's greatest champions of Indigenous art. 59-year-old gallery owner Tim Klinginger is credited with putting Australian Western Desert art on the global stage. His loss is being felt at Purple House Health Service, where Mr Klinger organised an Indigenous art auction that raised $1 million for the Western Desert Dialysis Appeal. Artist Bobby West now receives kidney dialysis at the centre his art helped pay for. He says Mr Klinger will be greatly missed. We were hoping to continue working, collect some canvas for my people. Yeah, but... Uh, But I'm going to miss you, Tim. The federal government has delivered an updated plan for the management of the Murray-Darling Basin, one of Australia's most complicated and important river systems. South Australia, Queensland and New South Wales have all agreed on the new plan, but Victoria have refused to sign on. The basin has been described as the food bowl of the nation, with its agriculture industry worth around $24 billion a year. With so much at stake, there have been long concerns about how the river system is managed, including for irrigation. Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek has announced a revised plan that hopes to address those concerns by extending the deadline and funding for water to be returned to the river system through buybacks. The Murray-Darling Basin Plan is an incredible piece of cooperation between the Commonwealth and the Murray-Darling Basin states and the ACT. Uh, It came out of a period of environmental catastrophe and it's designed to avoid another environmental catastrophe. Former US President Donald Trump has posted a message on his Truth Social account before heading down to Georgia to face felony charges. In his post, Trump called Fulton County District Attorney, who is prosecuting him, Fannie Willis, a radical left low-life district attorney, and reiterated his claim that the 2020 election, which he lost, was rigged and stolen. 213 million views and still counting. The biggest video on social media ever. More than double the Super Bowl. But please excuse me, I have to start getting ready to head down to Atlanta, Georgia, where murder and other violent crimes have reached levels never seen before to get arrested by a radical left, low-life district attorney, Fannie Willis, for a perfect phone call. And having the audacity to challenge a rigged and stolen election. The evidence is irrefutable. Arrest time, 7.30pm. Trump is set to pay a $200,000 bond package, which includes standard provisions barring him from making direct or indirect threats against witnesses or his 18 co-defendants in the case. Warner Brothers Movie Studio will delay the planned November release of big-budget Dune sequel until March because its stars cannot promote the movie during the Hollywood actors' strike. The decision deals a blow to cinema chains such as AMC Entertainment, Cineplex and Cinemark, which are still trying to recover from the COVID-19 pandemic. Dune was one of the most anticipated films on the late 2023 schedule. Top stars have refused to promote upcoming projects since the SAG-AFTRA Actors Union joined striking Hollywood writers and walked off the job on July 14. The Actors' Strike has promoted other movie studios to adjust film schedules in the absence of celebrities to hit red carpets or talk shows. 
Scientists have made a breakthrough with endometrial cancer after finding a link between the condition and testosterone levels. Women with higher levels of the hormone have a greater risk of developing endometrial cancer, according to the new research from scientists at the QIMR Berghofer Medical Research Institute. Hysterectomies are often the go-to treatment because there are few other options. However, it's hoped the discovery could change that as it's a highly invasive procedure and affects fertility in younger patients. Senior author Dr Tracy O'Mara said it was promising to see testosterone levels emerge so strongly as a likely risk factor because a person's testosterone can be modified. And now for a look at today's weather. Perth, sunny 25 Adelaide, partly cloudy, 20. Melbourne, mostly sunny, 19. Hobart, a shower or two, 14. Aubrey-Wodonga, partly cloudy, 18. Canberra, much the same, 18. Wollongong, mostly sunny, 21. Sydney, sunny, 22. Newcastle, similar conditions, 23. Brisbane, mostly sunny, 25. Townsville, also sunny and 28. Cairns, a shower or two, 27. Alice Springs, sunny, 27. Darwin, sunny, 35. And the Torres Strait Islands, partly cloudy, 31. And that is NITV Radio News. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. TV radio, on radio, online and mobile. Welcome back. I'm your host, Luana Grant, and you're listening to NITV Radio. Still to come on the show, a story produced by SBS News about the updated plan for the management of the Murray-Darling Basin, one of Australia's most complicated and important river systems. And NITV Radio chats to Gomorrah woman Sophie Honus, who is one of eight artists selected to take part in the Country Road and NGV's First Nations Commission series. But first, the Victorian Aboriginal Health Service has celebrated 50 years and has expanded steadily over this time to provide a comprehensive range of medical, dental and social services for Victoria's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. NITV Radio's Bertrand Tungandami chats to Chairperson Tony McCartney, who reflects on the importance of this date in the history of not only Aboriginal health, but in the Aboriginal rights movement of Melbourne and Australia. The Victorian Aboriginal Health Service, the oldest Aboriginal community-controlled health organisation in Victoria and second oldest in the country, is celebrating its 50th anniversary this week. And I'm joined by uh, Victoria Aboriginal Health Service Chairperson Tony McCartney to reflect on this milestone and the journey travelled by the organisation delivering over the last half century culturally safe and life-saving healthcare to ensure thriving, healthy communities. We'll also explore challenges and opportunities ahead. Now, Tony McCartney, first of all, thanks for joining us on NITV Radio today. Hi, thank you. How are you? Um, very good, very good, and excited to be able to explore the milestone uh, reached by uh, Victoria Aboriginal Health Service, which was founded uh, 50 years ago by historic figures of uh, the Aboriginal rights movement, setting the organization at the heart of uh, Aboriginal health, but also the overall Aboriginal rights movement. Now, yeah. 
at the time when the organization was uh, founded, racism was uh, rife and uh, more overt than today. Can you give us a picture of the situation back then and uh, how uh, the organization is traveling in the current context? Back in those days, there was no specific services before we established the health service. And that's why it was established, because we weren't getting access to hospitals and other health care. Most Aboriginal people wouldn't go to the hospital because, A, they weren't welcome, and, B, that uh, usually when you go to hospital, you usually die. Um, so some elders at the time, inspirational uh, community people, decided we need to take control of our, of our own affairs. So hence we uh, established the, uh, that Aboriginal Health Service back there in 1973 and um, started operating. It received no funds in those days, so most of it was voluntary for a long time. It was only through... Uh, taking uh, political action we actually got funding to actually you know employ people and get paid for the work they did and being in Fitzroy there was a large um, population of Aboriginal people living around the area because they'd been they had moved off from the missions around the state and they came to Melbourne seeking seeking um, to have a better life so there was a lot of Aboriginal people living around the Fitzroy area and so we saw lots of things like we established the Victorian Aboriginal Health Service and after that there were lots of other organisations that were established too in Fitzroy. So, you know, uh, VARS has been known as the home away from home because wherever you come from, you always come, you will always be welcomed. And even today, if you go down to our Nicholson Street uh, uh, service there in 186 Nicholson Street, Fitzroy, and as you walk through the sliding doors, there's always somebody to welcome you, to say hello. It's got a welcoming environment. It's a very community-focused. So there's a yarning, it's not a yarning, so there's seats sitting around where there's a fireplace in the winter and it's where people sit and talk to each other while they're waiting to see a GP or some other health specialist. So it's a really a home away from home. And there was a book written about it many years ago about how it's seen in the Aboriginal community. It certainly was instrumental in uh, supporting other communities to set up their own health services around the country as well. So we were the Redfern in uh, New South Sydney were the first, and then we were the second uh, Aboriginal health service. So we, both organisations, spent a lot of time yeah. educating other communities that they can have their own health service as well. So now it's a very diverse place we have. We've got hundreds of programs that get delivered every day. And we've got hundreds of staff, so, you know, it's growing. We've got four sites we operate from. And I'd worked there myself back there in the, the late 90s and the early 2000s. So I know the organisation fairly well, and, you know, it's really uh, it's a really great achievement to reach 50 years of uh, service to our community, and that's what it is. For us, when we look at our organisations, and particularly the Victorian Aboriginal Health Services, um, we're, you know, we're established to serve our community, and that's what we do every day. Yeah, so delivering a service, not just health, as you just mentioned, uh, it's a, a holistic approach to health. Yeah. It's not just about uh, the physical and mental well-being. It's uh, much, much larger than that. And uh, you've uh, grown, actually, from uh, the Fitzroy Centre to uh, other areas around Melbourne. Yes, yes, and the latest one is out at St Albans. Uh, I was only there yesterday to see a doctor 
because it's close to my home. <laughs> so and it's a nice, fresh. It's a, it's, it's you know, it's a new fit out in this building in uh, St Albans, and it reflects um, some, the similar design that's in, in the interior vase at Nicholson Street. That's in uh, St Albans, so it's it's got the serpent on the floor that's been uh, designed to put on the floor. So that's what happens. That's what's down at Nicholson Street. There's a serpent that wears all through the the floor in the main corridor, so people can see that it's a welcoming place. So um, and it's being replicated across lots of other organisations in other states as well. But you know, we get people coming in from all states, and when people come from from other places, particularly interstate, they come to Melbourne, and they end up coming down to the health service to find out where they can get access to services. So usually, usually VARS is the first point of contact when they're coming interstate looking for support. So we uh, excel at that sort of work as well. Yeah, and you also provide uh, training for Aboriginal health workers and uh, you've also partnered with uh, other organisations like uh, the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service, which uh, actually extends uh, again uh, your holistic approach to health because you involve also legal aspects of uh, health providing yeah you know we always keep very uh, true to our objectives it's about providing a holistic health right across uh, the community so you know somebody if there's a new patient they turn up to VARS and they get assessed about what their medical and health needs are then they look at uh, you know their own uh, you know, holistic health and look at what other things are um, in their lives that need to be sorted out. And so they can be linked into um, counselling, uh, family counselling and children, you're know, getting uh, su- support in the women and children's area, especially young ones. And those sorts of programs have been very successful over the years. We don't get enough funding for it. We could always do with more. And we have had to expand it because our community here in Melbourne has grown. You know, there's a significant uh, people... Our mob out there around the St Albans uh, and Melton area in the western suburbs that, that don't get a service, so that's why we're out at St Albans. And of course, we went further out to the north, out to Epping, because a lot of the people that used to live around the Fitzroy area moved out to northern areas of, um, of metropolitan Melbourne. So we just about see anybody who comes to see us. Um, and we've known that we certainly know that people from the regional areas come down to get referrals to other specific services that happen here in Melbourne. So we uh, we open our doors to everybody. Yeah, and checking the partnerships you partnered with. Uh, so we just mentioned uh, the Justice uh, Health Partnership, and uh, you signed a memorandum of understanding with the St Vincent's uh, Hospital. But there is also one that would be. Um, I would say outstanding uh, the Melbourne Storm partnering with you can you tell us about uh, the partnership with the Melbourne Storm a big sporting club in Melbourne that partnership's been around for a while and that's you know um, they can see the work that we do and the CEO takes carriage of that um, and our team there our comms team and other people we let um, it's, a, it's a great partnership and we also have partnerships with other sporting organisations as well and that's probably the longest one. I think the recent, most recent one has been the Essendon Football Club as well. And we've got partnerships, you know, with the hospitals and other health providers around the metropolitan Melbourne and how we negotiate and support each other to deliver services to our community. 
I mean, the one we've got at St Vincent is that partnership's been around for over 20-odd years. I remember when I worked there in Vars, um, I remember signing off on the first memorandum of understanding, and that was just about ensuring that people, how people were cared for when they went to the hospital at St Vincent, uh, working with the Aboriginal hospital liaison officer to support them while they're, uh, they're a patient there. So that, that's been really good, and, um, you know, being able to get the referrals to a other services within the hospital for our community has been a really great outcome um, for the community because it's very difficult to get referrals from other organisations into those. This is a long waiting list and Aboriginal people get a priority yeah. with, with the, uh, the, the MOU that we have with St Vincent's. So even myself, I've experienced how that works. You know, I've had to go and have some health issues sorted out at the out at um, St Vincent's myself, and it was, the referral process was amazing, and and um, being up there and being supported was a, it's a really great outcome. It's been working for a long time. It's one of our greater a great um, um, yeah opportunity yeah. that's really made dividends for our community. So we can actually get access to specialist services up and that's done up there. Um, beside uh, Nicholson Street. Now, the organisation was born uh, at uh, a time when Aboriginal rights uh, movements were really getting out there, campaigning for Aboriginal rights after the 1967 referendum and uh, historic figures of uh, the Aboriginal rights are actually at the centre of the creation of ours. And Mm. uh, it's not just about health, it's also about uh, creating community-controlled organisation and self-determination. And now we're celebrating the 50th anniversary in another politically uh, significant period when uh, we are discussing voice to parliament, which adds to self-determination as well, to the conversation Mm. about uh, determination. Yeah, well, you know... um those days in the early days it was about self-determination about we wanted to take control of our own affairs and the first thing we could do was you know like set up our own health service but you know we had to advocate i mean we didn't get funding in the early days so it was just voluntary and you know there was a couple of doctors from the um st vincent's who used to come down and voluntary voluntary uh, their time to the organization and we took up the uh the accuracy about trying to get um, health ministers to take us seriously because Aboriginal people were dying very, at a young, much younger age. The statistics were awful. And uh, there was many reports written about uh, the health status of Aboriginal people in Victoria. And it was very clear that it wasn't being, wasn't being addressed. And so the, the, the community in Fitzroy decided they were going to address it because we you could see how people were dying. They were dying in the parks. They were dying. They just weren't getting, weren't getting access to services. So that's why all Aboriginal organisations like Fitzroy, uh, Fitzroy Health Service was established, was to make it a uh, make it an uh, opportunity for people that they could access services without being judged about who they are and where they come from. So it's been a great success and we're very uh, grateful that we've had some really great leaders over the years that helped us uh, grow the organisation from such a small uh, place in Gertrude Street, uh, just a little place I remember going there myself uh, to get services when I was a very young man. I was like, I was 19 or 20. I felt so 
the health service saved my life when I was a young man because I was going through a terrible time. And I've always been loyal to them. So, and then many years later, I actually worked there. So that was really interesting. And, and you know, we helped set up those other organisations, uh, health organisations around the country, and we supported the, the establishment of a, um, um, a, a peak body here in Victoria, which is that show, to, um, to take up the, um, the political will with state and Commonwealth governments on our behalf. So we've always been on our front foot, uh, you know, marching for land rights, getting a better deal for our people. So over the years, things have improved, but they need to improve a lot more because people are still dying. A lot younger than the mainstream uh, population. So we've still got a lot of work to do. Has uh, VAS taken a position in the current uh, conversation around voice? We, we stick true to our, uh, um, our purpose, is to support people whatever they want to do. We don't have a, a position on it. Like we believe that people will make up their own mind, particularly in our community, and we would not dare tell them how to vote. Yeah. It's about self-determination, and uh, people will decide for themselves. You know, there's, there's different views in all uh, communities. So, And, you know, I imagine lots of people will be supporting it, but uh, even if people aren't, well, that's their right not to. Tony, before I let you go, I'd like you to give us your closing thoughts. My closing thoughts are these. Um, I like to thank uh, the community uh, and the elders of the past who actually established this organisation, pay homage to them. But also I'd like to thank uh, the leadership of the staff within the, 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 the VARS organisation. They're all committed to the work that they do. They all understand the history of the organisation. Every day they work to those aspirations that are in our objectives about self-determining community control and holistic health and caring for it. So our logo is caring for the community. We've been caring for our community for over 50 years and that hasn't changed. And we'll continue to do that. Tony McCartney, thank you very much for having the time to talk to us uh, today in the context of uh, VAR's 50th anniversary. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You're with NITV Radio. Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to NITV Radio. Still to come, NITV Radio chats to Gomorrah woman Sophie Honus, who is one of eight artists selected to take part in the Country Road and NGV First Nations Commissions series. But first, the federal government has delivered an updated plan for the management of the Murray-Darling Basin, one of Australia's most complicated and important river systems. South Australia, Queensland and New South Wales have all agreed to the new plan, but Victoria has refused to sign on. Deborah Grok reports. The Murray-Darling Basin is, for so many, a precious commodity, home to 35 endangered animal species, 120 different kinds of water birds and over 30,000 wetlands. The basin has also been described as the food bowl of the nation, with its agriculture industry worth around $24 billion a year. With so much at stake, there's long been concerns about how the river system is managed, including for irrigation. 
Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek has announced a revised plan that hopes to address these concerns. By extending the deadline and funding for water to be returned to the river system through buybacks. The Murray-Darling Basin Plan is an incredible piece of cooperation between the Commonwealth and the Murray-Darling Basin states and the ACT. Uh, It came out of a period of environmental catastrophe and it's designed to avoid another environmental catastrophe. We know that South East Australia in particular is getting hotter and drier and although we've had a few wet years recently, we know that the next drought is just around the corner. Buybacks are when the government purchases the water entitlements of licence holders along the river system. Entitlements give the licensees the right to take a certain amount of water from the system each year, but a buyback means the government can reclaim that water and send it back to the places and animals that need it the most. Victoria is the only state that's decided against joining the revised Murray-Darling Basin Agreement. And in a statement provided to SBS News, Victorian Water Minister Harriet Shing says buybacks are the reason why. Victoria has a long-standing opposition to buybacks, and nothing we have seen in this deal has changed that position. Victoria has delivered more water than any other state towards the up to 450 gigalitres of additional water, and will support the return of water to the environment. And the delivery of the Murray-Darling Basin Plan as long as it meets the agreed socioeconomic criteria. The Conservation Council, now known as Environment Victoria, says the state's opposition makes no sense. John O'Lanoz is their CEO. Victoria's water policy uh, was written at a time when the National Party uh, was in power and held the water portfolio in Victoria. For some reason, the Andrews government, uh, despite being progressive on a number of environmental issues, has decided uh, to maintain that position over the last decade. It doesn't make any sense to me that a government would stand in the way of a farmer who wants to sell their water to the Commonwealth. But Dairy Farmer and Farmers Federation Water Council Chair Andrew Leigh says Victoria has done the right thing by saying no. He says farmers and the government are keen to keep as much water in the Victorian part of the system as possible because they've seen the social impact of insufficient water firsthand. Well, I've got 15, 16-year-old children. Um, when I went to school in the local town, there was a thousand kids at the high school, now there's only 200. So those water buybacks we see is, um, you know, we just lost people out of the districts because there's no jobs in that. The local voluntary fire brigade has trouble getting members, you know. Um, all the little things like um, the Lions Clubs, all those little community groups are struggling to get volunteers for numbers because we don't have the people here anymore. Indigenous communities have also long hoped for more effective action to save the river. In Victoria, the Tati Tati people have been campaigning for an influx of water at Maguya Lagoon, a culturally significant site near Robinvale. David Littleproud promised $40 million in 2018 when he was the relevant minister to buy water for Indigenous communities to use and control in the Murray-Darling system, a promise never really fulfilled. Indigenous elders say there's a strong case to be made to include First Nations people on the board of the Murray-Darling Basin Authority and to provide for cultural flows. Environmental Justice Australia lawyer Bruce Lindsay. Cultural flows is a concept that traditional owners have been developing 
uh, for a number of years, especially in the um, southern Murray-Darling Basin, as essentially a tool to identify means of establishing far greater Aboriginal control and authority over water management, especially along the Murray River floodplain here, such as sites like this at Margulia Lagoon. It's unclear if the legislation on the new plan to be put forward by Tanya Plibersek will include money for cultural flows and how Victoria will proceed without the funding from the revised agreement. But what is clear is the river system is both a source of food and significant cultural practice for many First Nations communities, as Garen Jerry Elder, Major Sumner, told the Murray-Darling Basin Authority. It's a part of my life, it's a part of my parents' life, it's a part of my grandparents' life, part of my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents' life. We've always been connected to the river. Deborah Grok, SBS News. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to NITV Radio. Now to a story we've been following over the last few weeks. The National Gallery of Victoria and Country Road have teamed up for the My Country, Country Road and NGV First Nations Commission Series, which is a national exhibition pairing up eight emerging First Nations artists with esteemed mentors who will support and guide artists as they create artwork reflecting the theme My Country. This is the first initiative of its kind in Australia, with artists using a range of creative mediums ranging from weaving, installation and painting. I've had the pleasure of chatting to Miles Russell-Cook, NGV's Senior Curator of Australian and First Nations Art, and Wiradjuri and Gomorrah artist Jonathan Jones, who is one of eight mentors. Today, I have the pleasure to chat to Gomorrah woman Sophie Honus, who is one of eight artists selected to take part in the Country Road and NGV Commission series. Sophie is based in Tamworth, New South Wales, and has been creating textile art for the past five years, as well as weaving workshops. In this conversation, Sophie discusses her involvement in this initiative and what it means to her. Sophie, welcome to NITV Radio. It's really great to have you on. Thank you. Firstly, you're a Gomorrah woman based in Tamworth in New South Wales. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how long you've been creating art for? Um, Yeah, my name's Sophie Honus. I live in Tamworth on Gomorrah country. My um, great grannies are Bowdens that are from Narrabah. Um, I've been creating for not that long professionally, um, probably about six years, but I grew up with my mother always teaching me art. Um, Yeah, but I really got into weaving after living in Sydney for about 10 years and moving back to Tamworth. I did a weaving workshop here in Tamworth, a cultural weaving workshop with Yunar Maramali, and that's where I started weaving again. Nice. And you've been selected for the Country Road and National Gallery of Victoria's First Nations Commission's mentorship mm-hmm. program. How did you get involved in this initiative? Um, I, Jonathan rang me randomly one day. I had met Jonathan two times before in Sydney and he just said, this is um, a program that's about to start. They've asked me to select someone in New South Wales and I've selected you. Um, which was a pretty crazy, exciting phone call to receive from him. Um, yeah, from there it's just flowed on. 
And Jonathan Jones, as you mentioned, he's your mentor. Um, and yeah. you did say that you had previously met Jonathan before. What's it been like so far uh, with, you know, him mentoring you and, you know, how is, how is that um, relationship going and, and, yeah, what's it been like? It's been really, really amazing um, to have uh, such an established artist who has worked on such big projects and artworks. Um, it's just been like there's no limits with his mentorship. Um, Can you talk us through a little bit about the mediums that you use to create your work as an artist? Yeah, so I mainly use wool um, with my independent practice. Uh, so I use sustainably collected wool. So it's usually from op shops or secondhand stores or has been given to me from um, other creators. And um, I just use, I like using wool because I love colour um, and I love texture and I, um, I really find that that fibre, I can really play with it and mould it and, yeah, really create what I'm trying to <laughs> Where do you draw your inspiration from when you're creating your art? It's from my immediate surroundings. So, um, yeah, from Gomorrah country. So I do a lot of walk. I do a lot of walking Mm -hmm. on country and I draw my inspiration from there, from where. um, So like here we have beautiful hills that overlook Tamworth that you can explore and create a lot of hidden treasures, like we're such a dry climate here, but in those hills is, you know, secret streams of water and waterfalls and I really find that inspiring, um, you know, what hasn't been touched. Yeah. And the theme for the commission series is My Country. Can you talk us through the theme and how this is reflected in your work that you'll be creating for the exhibition, which is next year, I think, in March? Yeah, I think the um, the theme is really cool because it'll be um, we'll all see different countries coming together in one exhibition, and I think you know the variety of our landscapes will be really, really interesting to see. Um, and it's great for me because that's where I always draw my inspiration for, and it'd be really exciting to show off my home. Um, you know, we are we Gomorrah country is beautiful. You know, every road you take in any direction, our landscape changes, and I'm really excited to show that um, because you can be, you know, especially in Tamworth, you can be known for it being flat and dry, but there is so much more to the country here, and I'm excited to be able to show that off. Yeah, yeah. that's that's amazing, and it's going to be, as you mentioned, a really great exhibition with people showing, mm. you know, their vision of their country. Yeah. Um, which yeah. is really awesome. And as you yeah. mentioned before, you do weaving and you're part of a weaving group. Can you tell us yes. a bit more about that? Yes, I'm part of a collective called Yina Maramali. That was started by Amy Hammond, yeah, a senior weaver, and Laurel Munro. Um, so a group of, I think, nine women. Um, and we get together and we create artworks for exhibitions and we run workshops. And it really has, I think, Amy has really woken up weaving here in Tamworth. Um, yeah, really important collective, yeah. And you've been involved in a number of exhibitions, including a few solo ones. Do you have anything coming up that you can fill us in on? 
Um, just the NGV exhibition. <laughs> and which is very, very exciting and very, yeah. I mean, that will be taking up so much of your time because it's yeah. a major work. Yeah, yeah. and um, I've also been selected to be part of the Tamworth Textile Triennial, which um, opens on the 9th of September in Tamworth and then it travels the country for three years. Oh, wow. So that's also exciting. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for speaking to us on NITV Radio today and all the best with your artwork and the exhibition next year. Uh, everyone get down to National Gallery of Victoria in Melbourne and the exhibition is next year in March, which will be really exciting. So thank you so much, Sophie, for coming on for a chat. Thank you so much for having me. NITV Radio, on radio, online and mobile. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV Radio. And that's all we have time for on today's program. You can listen back to the show anytime online or catch any of our stories on our website at sbs.com.au. NITV Radio will be back on Monday, Wednesday and Friday, 1 till 2 p.m. with more stories from right across the country. Today, we leave you with a track by Jess Malboy. I'm your host, Lawana Grant, Mandango. Have a great weekend. Not in a hurry anyway You feel the endlessness Come another light of day We're talking about a 